Let us now return to the portion of scripture which we read a few moments ago. The Gospel of Christ according to Matthew and chapter 9. And I would like us uh, tonight to look and centre their thoughts around the incidents that happened in the house of Matthew. So we'll read from verse 9 down to verse 13. <clears throat> and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <clears throat> we have here in this context a most beautiful situation. We have Christ dwelling in the house of Matthew and many publicans and sinners are drawing near to him, perhaps to learn of him, to learn of his work and his salvation, about who he is and what he can do for them. They are those who know that they need a saviour, those who know that they are Sinners, and they are drawing near to Christ to find out more what he, as Saviour, can do for them. And we have, of course, this beautiful time of fellowship interrupted by the ever-present Pharisees. And they come to his disciples with this question, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Pharisees in these in this one question were trying to hit three targets in one question. They're aiming at his disciples. You are supposed to be Jewish. How can you call this one your master when he eats with publicans and sinners? If he truly is the Messiah, he wouldn't be found with such, so why do you follow him? They take aim at Christ himself, seeking to undo all his claims. Look who he busies himself with. How can he be the Messiah? And of course this question is aimed at the publicans and sinners themselves. They are beneath any approach from God. They are too distant, they are too far away. But Christ answers them with one answer. He brings it back to the heart issue. He says, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, and so on. He pointed out in this answer the divide that was fixed between them. When he says whole, they that be whole, is he saying that the Pharisees are righteous and good and godly? 
course not. He says this because they think they are. They are under the illusion that they are righteous, that they are the people of God that deserve attention from the Messiah. And when he talks about those that are sick, he's talking about those that know they are, that acknowledge that they are, and need a physician, and call upon a physician to heal them. The righteous perceive themselves as such and see no need for a physician. We'll get into that later on. And of course to them, the Messiah isn't a physician. The Messiah is supposed to be this king that was to come into this world and reign. And these Pharisees were supposed to have the chiefest seats in the kingdom because of their faithfulness and their adherence to the law of God in their eyes. Certainly Messiah wasn't going to come down and seek to heal these publicans and sinners. That was what they had in their mind. But these publicans and sinners draw near because they hear of one who pardons sin and cleanses from it. Our theme tonight, with the help of the Lord, is what stops the hole and draws the sick. What stops the whole from coming to Christ? And what draws the sick to him as the Saviour? And these are also helpful here, two point headings for tonight. So first of all then, what stops the whole? What is a hindrance to those that think themselves as righteous from coming to Christ? They that be whole need not a physician. Well, the whole, the people that Christ is referring to here, the Pharisees, are quite notorious in our Gospels that we have before us. And there are many characteristics about them that we can maybe draw out, and a few of them even come out in this context before us. Were they not known very much for their pride? Their Self-righteousness, how they looked upon themselves was in a favourable look. And it comes across in, even in the question they ask, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? What are they saying by asking that question in that way? Well, he's, he's not my master. Might be your master, disciples. But he's not mine. In the worldview of the Pharisees, they viewed Christ as a most unwelcomed imposter into their world. At the time of Christ's ministry, the Pharisees had things quite good. They were enjoying a decent spell of political favour. Many people looked up to them. Many people asked them the searching questions of theology at the time. They had a lot going for them. And then they hear about this Messiah who's coming into this world and attracting crowds of people. And he was challenging them to their face very often, very publicly. He was a most unwelcomed imposter. Their pride 
was that they were lord of their lives. They were effectively the rulers of that time. Not this one who is called Christ. And is that how you view Christ this evening? Is Christ to you potentially a most unwelcomed imposter into your life? Are things going quite well for you, like they were going well for the Pharisees? Is life, has life got a tinge of contentment around it? And the introduction of religiosity or coming to Christ and attending prayer meetings and all Sabbath services, would that be an imposition on your life? Is that how you view him? Are you seeing yourself as Lord of your life? You decide what is best for you and not another. What is another characteristic of these Pharisees? While there was jealousy, they were a jealous group. Again, we go back to their question. Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? In their view, if Christ was the Messiah, he wasn't going to busy himself with such people. They thought that they were the ones that deserved all the messianic attention. They did not like who Christ was with. In Luke's Gospel in chapter 15, we hear them having this complaint. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. You see, in their view, they had seen many miracles of Christ. They had seen him working wonders, healing the sick, unstopping the ears of the deaf, opening the eyes of the blind, giving proof after proof of his own claims to be the Messiah. But in their view, all of that was completely undone because of who he dwelt with. The fact that he busied himself with publicans and sinners was enough to undo his own claims in their eyes. And is that maybe an attitude expressed by some here? Maybe you don't like who Christ busies himself with. There's a common statement, and it's got a tinge of truth to it, but nevertheless it should be challenged. Christians today aren't what they used to be. There might be a sense of truth in that when we think of the godly individuals that went before us. But is that keeping you from coming to Christ? If so, do you believe you would do better? If only I was a Christian, I would do so much better than these Christians, these professing Christians. Indeed, Christ would be on my side. Christ would be on my side. Have I not been very diligent in attending church for many years? Am I not found here once again? Christ said in another place though, that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Have we not done? This was the attitude of the Pharisees. Even jealousy as to who Christ saved and who he was with. In other places, there was also a simple case of denial. Denial of their need for a saviour. 
when they hear Christ saying that the truth shall set them free. And in other places, what did they say in John chapter 8 in response to such things? We were never in bondage to any man. We were never in bondage. We are free as free can be, denying their need even for a physician. And maybe that's, again, true of yourself tonight. Denying that you have a sin problem. Denying that you're even in bondage to sin. There's many out there who have various ailments of the body. And we mentioned some of them this morning. And they point blank refuse to go and see a doctor about it. They're behaving as if I have no problem. Completely denying it. If you're driving down the road and the engine management light comes up on your dashboard alerting you of a problem there are two ways to solve that light problem you can take it to a mechanic who will decipher the problem and fix it that'll turn out the light but so will simply unplug in the light that'll clear your dashboard it'll clear you can deny your problem deny your need for a saviour Another very prominent characteristic of these Pharisees, those who claimed to be whole in their attitudes, was hypocrisy. Blatant hypocrisy. And Christ challenged them on this in this same gospel in chapter 15. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Just in this context, we have Christ in the private home of Matthew. And yet, very nearby, so much they could see it all happening, were the Pharisees. What's the point in that? The fact is that they were always following Christ, but never closing with Christ. They were always in and about Christ's work. They were never far away, these Pharisees. But they never closed in with Christ as Saviour. In verse 11 it says, When the Pharisees saw it. That is how close they were to what was happening in Matthew's house. And again, can you apply that to yourself? Are you feeling like you're satisfied with having a foot in each camp having as it were one foot on the broad road and one foot on the narrow road we spoke I believe last week about the belief that there might be a middle road for the indecisive but we know that a foot on each road is really both on the broad another couple of things that is true of them they had perceived knowledge perceived knowledge he had to challenge them in verse 13. Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He quotes from Hosea there. He knew they had knowledge. 
He knew that they could quote much of the Old Testament. He knew they had knowledge of theology and practice, good things. But he knew they didn't understand the gospel, even with all that knowledge. And friends, I say to you tonight, head knowledge saves no one. Nobody has ever been saved by gaining all the knowledge they can about the scriptures. Christ is the answer, not pure head knowledge. Come to know the love of Christ with which passes knowledge, as Paul says to the Ephesians. Don't be content simply knowing the things of Scripture without knowing the Saviour the Scriptures reveal. And finally, before we move on to the second point, another thing which can stop the whole from coming to Christ is genealogy. This is a strange one, but it's so true of the Pharisees. Genealogy. At one point in John's Gospel, they say, Abraham is our father. They thought that merely having an organic link to Abraham meant godliness. They said, we are Abraham's seed. They took pride in that. They thought that meant something very important. And it meant that they could escape judgment and be saved. Another aspect of genealogy is even their own historical stances. Another notorious sect of the time, which we know is the, is the Sadducees. They were their, effectively their political opponents. And they had a division many years before this. And it's generally accepted that the Pharisees took the better religious stance. Well, how do we say these things to ourselves? Are you settled in family heritage? Are you thinking that, well, I had good and godly parents, had a wonderful Christian grandmother, or even I have godly siblings or godly children? These must count in my favour. It must mean something to me. When I stand on the day of judgment, it must mean something that I had parents that prayed every night for me. It must mean something. Well, Christ challenges these Pharisees in Luke chapter 3. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. Don't use genealogy as an excuse. But re in reference to their historical stance against the Sadducees, are you perhaps too settled in church heritage? The Pharisees were proud of the fact that they had made a religious stance against the Sadducees. And we, as a denomination, throughout history have made good, necessary decisions and stances in the past. But are you leaning on that? Are you thinking, well, I stuck by this church. It's got to count for something. Friends, genealogy can keep you. We can talk about denial and pride, jealousy, hypocrisy, perceived knowledge and 
genealogy. All these things that were true of the Pharisees, ask yourself, are they true of me? Do I think myself whole? Do I think myself righteous? Challenge yourself with that question. So that are some of the things that stop the whole from coming to Christ. Secondly then, what draws the sick to Jesus? What draws the sick? Well, we have it here that he calls himself a physician. And if there's one thing that those who know their sick need, is they know their need for a physician. And there are many blissfully attractive things to do with Christ, which if you are a sinner tonight and you know your sin, I commend you this Saviour, what we will discuss, and how he is the most approachable Saviour you could ever have. We can look at his gracious condescension. His gracious condescension. Christ in this context calls Matthew to follow him. And it says that he sat at meat in the house, but Mark's gospel clarifies it as it is indeed Matthew's own house that he follows him to. Matthew was called to leave his work. Where was he going to go? Where was Christ beckoning him to follow him? Home. This is where the Saviour led Matthew, to his own home. What gracious condescension from, from Christ himself. And this breeds in our mind, is it not, a very searching question. Indeed, we might ask the same question the Pharisees asked. Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? That's one thing someone who knows their own state before God asks. Why would he dwell with me? Someone who is so sick with sin. Why would he eat with such as I am? Such condescension in the mind of a sinner is unthinkable. And yet it is true. And do you think, dear sinner tonight, that Christ cannot dwell with you? He may be a condescending saviour, but there's no way he can go down to my level. You think of Zacchaeus, the chief publican, we are told. What did Christ say to him? Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Zacchaeus wasn't too far away, chief of the publicans he may have been. Christ's arm was not shortened. I could not save such. His gracious condescension. Also his approachableness. His approachableness. Verse 10. And Jesus sat. Many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Was Christ ever so approachable as this? We have here the Son of of God, the Lord of glory, sitting and eating in the house of a sinner. These other publicans and sinners had heard, I'm sure, of Matthew being called. 
There were those publicans and sinners who probably knew their sin and wanted rid of it. They wanted a remedy for their sin. But they may have thought, well, I'm too far gone. I cannot approach God in this. But then they hear of Matthew. Well, we know about Matthew. He's a publican like we are. He's a sinner like we are. And Christ has taken him home. Christ has accepted him. That is no doubt what drove all these publicans and sinners to Christ. <clears throat> and when they got there, they didn't see the Lord of glory. They didn't see the Son of Man enthroned on high, separated with a legion of angels surrounding him. They saw, they saw him as approachable as ever, eating with sinners. Friend, he is a very approachable saviour. Don't think within yourselves, well, I need to do better first. I need to recover first. I need to do something about my sin before I come to Christ. But what does Christ say? They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Not they that were sick. Do not think you need to recover first. Another thing that's wonderful about him is his commitment or his mission. What was the Saviour's mission when he came into this world? Well, Paul says it to Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. A good physician or doctor, if he is worth his salt, dedicates his life to healing sick. He makes it his life's duty to help those that are in need, those that need healing. Well, this is Christ. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And in that, dear friend, by the way, he is greatly experienced. You know that the best doctors to go to are the ones that are the most experienced. Those that have dealt with ailments in the past. Well, he is experienced. I touched on it this morning. The fact that Christ came down from heaven into this world that has such a backdrop of sin and suffering. He came down as a little infant into this world. Because of this, because of what he suffered in this world, we have a very sympathetic high priest. One that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Friend, he is dedicated to all who come to him. That is his commitment. You can feel free tonight to go to Christ with all your sin, every single one, and know that he will deal with you. Your sins will be washed clean. There are no waiting lists with this physician. There are no over-the-phone interviews and appointments. He's available just now. You think later on in this chapter, the ruler comes to him asking him to raise his daughter from the dead and he and his disciples go to the house 
That's what he was going. That's what he was going to do. But there was a woman on the way. The one that touched the hem of his garment. Did Christ say, I'm too busy? Time is of the essence. There's a woman that is dying. Or did he stop and turn and forgive her and heal her? Friend, he has time for you. No waiting lists with this physician. Another thing about him is his honest diagnosis. If you want a good doctor again, he has to know what he's doing, but he has to be honest about his diagnosis of you. Bear in mind that these publicans and sinners came to Christ to hear what he had to say. There is no doubt that these publicans and sinners heard him say the answer to the Pharisees. And in that answer they hear them being called sinners. They that behold me not a physician, but they that are sick. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, there are many today that hate the idea of being called a sinner. But these people knew they were, and they were glad to hear that the physician knew it too, because they came to have their sins dealt with. And in this diagnosis, he knows the extent of the disease. It's another thing you want to know about your doctor. He knows the full extent of your sin and my sin. He knows greater than you do. You think of the woman at the well of Samaria. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? He knows the extent of the disease. He knows you even better than yourself. And he knows that his blood is able to cleanse from all your sin. If you know your sin tonight, does that not encourage you to draw near to him as you are? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some, all unrighteousness. And we move on also to his cure. His cure. What is the cure to your sin? In verse 2 in this chapter. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. What a glorious doctrine we can proclaim. Justification, how? By faith alone. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. That is what you need. And thou shalt be saved. Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And it goes on to say that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And this faith cures all kinds of sin. We live in a day and age where doctors are more specialist. You go to a chiropractor 
if you have problems with your back. Go to a dentist if you have something wrong with your teeth. Go to an optician for problems with your eyesight. We have specialist doctors now. But he cures all kinds. Not just a specialist. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, Christ lists all the works that he does before John's disciples. The blind receive their sight, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What good is a dentist to a blind man? Christ is the answer to all kinds of sin. Maybe you're thinking, well, that solution is too simple. Surely it has to take more than faith, simple faith to do so. It must be more complicated than that. No, it isn't. Because otherwise, even the darling young ones in this congregation could not understand this gospel message. Faith alone is all you need. Maybe you're thinking, my situation is too unique. You're saying he cures all kinds of sin, but mine is too unique. No sinner has ever done this or gone this far down this road. All unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness by faith in his blood. And finally, in this point, we've looked at his condescension as approachableness. Mission, diagnosis, cure. And finally, his bill. His bill. What does this cost? Romans 5 verse 18. By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. The freedom, the free offer of the gospel. And you see, this is an affront to the proud that we talked about in the first point. The proud will always seem to come up with inventions and religious systems that make it seem like they have something to offer God that makes them acceptable in his sight. We'll have to go to religiosity or, or penance. All these things that we can add in. But it's a free gospel. Free salvation. Free access to glory in Christ. Where all the needy's desires are met. Revelation 21 verse 6. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. <coughs> I once again commend to you tonight a free salvation found in Christ alone. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. All of us here can go to this fountain tonight John Gill said quite and it sums up all we've talked about quite well none ever went from him without a cure none ever perished under his hands the disease he heals never returns more to prevail so as to bring about death and destruction and he does all freely without money and without price a highly commendable saviour is held out for you 
in Inverness tonight. Just a couple of thoughts then as we close. Ask yourself, which of these groups am I in? Am I in the group that constantly puts up barriers to closing in with Christ? Or am I among those that know my sin, feel my sin, want rid of my sin? Well, here's a saviour for you. Acknowledge your sickness. Acknowledge that you've broken God's law. But don't go that just that far. Acknowledge that one came into this world to save those like you. He is for you tonight if you know your sin and want to come to him in faith. And lastly, do not delay. Do not delay. Not just because it will just simply harden your heart to make you harder to the gospel if you delay another to another service or another day. But also do not delay because there be no delay on his part. The moment you come to him in faith is the very moment he will gladly accept you in the beloved. Gladly accept you in that number of those blessed people who came to him to rid themselves of their sin. Coming to a saviour that is willing to cleanse them from every single one. Again, close in with this physician, able to heal from all sorts of ailments and disease. The one who came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to us this evening. Let us stand and pray. Gracious and ever-blessed Lord, we rejoice this night that there is a balm in Gilead, that there is a saviour from sin, that there is one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. For we all here who know our sin and freely confess it can draw near to this physician and we testify at his readiness to save, at his readiness to forgive. Pray, Lord, that we that our saints this night would be encouraged to come to him anew, not seeking to reform our lives, but coming as we are to be cleansed. And we pray anew this night for any sinners who know their sin, feel the weight of it, and are looking for a remedy for them. May they know this night that there is a great physician willing and able to cleanse them and heal them this night itself. Be with us in our parting praise and forgive sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We'll close now by singing in Psalm 33. Psalm number 33 from verse 18. <coughs> we'll sing the last three stanzas to God's praise. Psalm 33 from verse 18. Behold on those that do in fear, the Lord doth set his eye. Even those who on his mercy do with confidence rely. From death to free their soul, and darth life unto them to yield. Their soul doth wait upon the Lord, he is our help and shield. Sith in his holy name we trust, our heart shall joyful be. Lord, let thy mercy be on us, as we do hope in thee.
these last three verses to God's praise. Psalm 33 from verse 18. Behold on those that do in fear, the Lord doth set his eye. Behold on those that do meeting on Thursday at the usual time of 7.30pm will be taken by Reverend Stuart Farms. The services next week uh, at the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm and the preacher expected is Reverend Harry Woods. There will be a congregational meeting held on Thursday the 23rd of February at 7.30pm. <coughs> the funeral service for the late Mr Alistair McIntosh Senior Elder in the Doors Congregation will take place on Tuesday at the William T. Fraser Funeral Home, Caldoffel Road, Inverness, at 12 noon. Interment thereafter will be at the Doors Cemetery. Now, copies of Reverend John Morrison's book, Daily Readings of the Gospel According to John, are now available in the vestibule for those who ordered it at £12 each. Payment can be made by cash or cheque payable to Greyfriars FCC in the envelope provided. And finally, a, a training session in CPR and for the use of the planned defibrillator will take place in the church on Monday the 6th of March at 7pm. Please add your name to the list in the vestibule if you would like to participate. And can I just say what a joy and a privilege it has been to be among you. I'm so pleased I've got to know some of you in the congregation of this last week You've been very accommodating and please be assured of my prayers for you and the fervent prayers of my congregation in Scalpy as well in this time of 